dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Sometimes leaders feel like we have to be perfect. It can be good to study, however, the times when leaders aren't perfect. Seeing that God shows mercy even to us when we're imperfect can encourage us to continue to lead during difficult times. In part three of our series, Where Leaders Fail, we read about Moses. Just like we can learn from his wonderful deeds, we can also learn from his weaknesses. Hey, everybody, thank you for being at this class again. You know, we're trying to study God's word insofar as it teaches us what he wants from us as leaders. And obviously, there's a lot of very positive things that God puts in his word, you know, prescriptive things and commandments about leadership and stories of wonderful leaders. What amazes me is that in God's word, he doesn't only tell us about the victory. Sometimes, in fact, he reveals to us the backside of the leader, the, the downside and the failures, so to speak, of the leaders in, in God's word. And I think that's so remarkable because most of us who are here today, we, we have experience in leadership. We know that we don't always lead well. And many people today don't even want to keep trying because they feel like failure is final. How refreshing to read in the Bible these stories of God's leaders where they actually show us that failure is not final and failure is actually part of the victorious story that God writes with their life. We looked at Simon Peter already and boy, his failure, sir, was colossal and was written down by the Holy Spirit <laughs> about that, you know, and not just, but then King David, he failed in his family. He failed in his personal life by chastity and then he failed as a king. I mean, amidst all of his different successes also, it wasn't final. It was just part of his story. And I want to now look at one of the greatest men in the entire Bible, Moses. There's more written about Moses in the Old Testament than any other character. Actually, more written about Moses in the Bible than any other person outside of Christ in a specific way. Four whole books of the Bible are taken up by Moses and his laws and what Moses did. The first five books of the Bible, the first four, four of the first five books of the Bible are about Moses. And according to tradition, were even written by Moses. He's, he's an immensely important figure in the history of, the, of Revelation and in God's teaching of his people. And, and Moses did things that were absolutely stupendous. If you were to compare your lives, for example, with that of Moses, you're going to find that Moses lived a much more interesting life. I mean, he had to go in front of the most powerful man in the entire world, Pharaoh, and had to tell Pharaoh to let 1.5 million people go into the desert. So he's actually telling Pharaoh he's going to decimate his entire economy, right? All of the slave labor who was doing, were doing the basic 
duties that needed to be done in order to turn his society, Moses is saying he wants you to emancipate them instantly because God told him to. Now, if that doesn't take some moxie, you know, that, 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 that's really something. Go in front of Pharaoh and tell him that. And that's what Moses did. And he did it even though he had a speech impediment of some sort. He's slow of speech, as he said. Was it stuttering? I mean, I don't know. But it must have taken an immense amount of courage. Moses, when he went to, did, to do that, remember, he was guilty of murdering an Egyptian. And the murder of the Egyptian was all the more abominable considering the fact that the Egyptians had reared Moses like a prince. Here he was, a prince of Egypt, killing one of the Egyptians in order to defend the slaves. And he was guilty of that. He had to go back to Pharaoh, who, whose family had done Moses a lot of good by saving his life out of the reeds, and then tell Pharaoh that even though he's guilty of murdering one of his own Egyptian people, that he should let the slaves go. Decimate his economy, ruin all of his fancy projects that he had for the future, because God told him to. I mean, that took incredible courage. And Moses did it. And after doing it, he led the people three days march. And of course, remember what happened. Pharaoh comes out with his army, pins Moses to his back to the sea. And Moses stretches his hand out over the sea and separates the water from one side to the next. Leads Israel to walk across that land dry shod, you know. And then have the water go back and, and close itself to the death of all of the Egyptian army all of the chariots, charioteers of Egypt smashed to bits and Moses free to lead his people forward. God did things with Moses that he did with no one else, leading him with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He struck the, told Moses to strike the rock and Moses lets water gush forth with such abundance that 1.5 million people are able to drink from that water along with all of their cattle and their livestock. That's quite in abundance. It wasn't like some sort of little mountain stream here. This would have been a gushing fountain. And Moses does it. Quail, bids quail to come down from the heavens. And the quail comes down. The manna, bread in the morning, quail in the evening, every day. Uh, the seraph serpents. Then not only to that, but he, he goes to war against various armies and defeats them. He defeats the Edomites. He defeats the Ammonites. He defeats the Moabites. I mean, they, Moses is a force to be reckoned with. And his faith in God, is, I mean, he would spend 40 days and 40 nights at one time fasting and praying to God. He spoke to God face to face. I mean, when, when he would go into the temple to speak with God, the glory of cloud of God would come and hover over the tent just when Moses was speaking, they, they said that his face would shine with such supernatural light that you couldn't even look upon his face because it was glowing with such incredible light. So they had to cover his face when they were talking with him. I mean, this is an extraordinary individual who dared extraordinary things and who was tested in extraordinary ways. The thing that fascinates me about God's word, though, is that it doesn't hesitate to show us where, in fact, Moses faltered. And this is so important for you because you're out there trying to make it happen every single day. And if for, for many people, you remember that old saying, right? The higher up you go on the flagpole, the more that your own imperfections are revealed, right? Praise goes down, complaints go up. And the more that you are in a leadership position, the more that you are vulnerable to all kinds of criticism. 
And we might say to ourselves, well, that means that I'm called to be perfect if I'm going to be a good leader. And I'd say, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's definitely a call there. It's just impossible. <laughs> because on the other side, the, every time you assert yourself as a leader, you are going to show the flip side of that assertion. And you're going to have to learn how to take good criticism and how to deal with your own weaknesses. I'll say this. The only leader who's really weak is the one who doesn't know his weaknesses. Right? If you're aware of your weaknesses, then you can turn your weaknesses into strength, not by necessarily getting rid of them, but by knowing how to leverage even your weaknesses as part of your leadership. If you know, for example, that you're a very assertive and domineering personality, well, that can reveal a strength and a weakness. And the weakness could be that other people will have a hard time cooperating with you. But if you're aware of that, well, then you can turn that on its head and actually become a person who, by decision, leads to cooperation with other people and puts people around you that, who, whom you know you can actually count on. This is like a simple example. But I want you to think right now about all the places where you're really strong, the things that have made you great as a leader, and then recognize that every single one of those comes with a backside to it. Just like Moses, who had all these amazing things, Scripture doesn't hesitate to show us where he faltered. And I want to look at those spots in particular, not because I want to undermine all of the goodness that's in Moses. There's a ton of it, obviously. I just mentioned a whole bunch. But I want us to learn how he coped and how he dealt with his own weakness because in the end, it, it's something that's phenomenal for us, teaching us how to lead in our own lives. This is Father Nathan. I know that there are many ways to learn leadership, and that there's many great methods out there that are even put forth by Catholics. But here at the St. John Leadership Institute, we actually have a unique way of forming leaders. It's called Audeo. That's Latin for I dare. At our campus in Denver, Catholics can learn an authentically Catholic way to become a leader. Check us out on our website, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. All right, so we're talking here about numbers, the book of numbers, the book of Deuteronomy. I want to focus in just on three spots here, and we're going to start with Numbers chapter 11. All right, but before we do that, let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon us. Fill our hearts with your love, with a desire to serve you. And as we look at the life of your servant Moses, inspire us to be like him, steadfast in serving you, even in the midst of our own failures. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Numbers chapter 11. Moses finds himself, of course, in the desert, and he's wandering around in the desert, as we know, for 40 years. But all of a sudden, you know, in Numbers 11, a, a, a terrible situation comes. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and the Lord heard it. His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. All right, so you've got the people who start to complain even after everything God has done for them because their present life in freedom is a harder life in their eyes than what they had in slavery. 
You know, how, how soon we forget. How disheartening this must have been for Moses, right? Who, who sees all that God has done for the people to not seem to be able to penetrate their hearts with the knowledge that they have been blessed even in their discomfort, even in what's hard, they've still been blessed and blessed immensely. And Moses has to deal with the fact that they don't seem to appreciate that. Verse 4, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. It's a, a very common kind of complaint we can imagine, considering it's around food. But it's more than food. They're rebelling against the food that God gave them, saying that somehow the food that they had in Egypt was superior. Again, which was completely wrong. They were in Egypt having to work in abject slavery being oppressed by, by the Egyptians. They did not eat better, but they are imagining this. So Moses is, as a leader, confronting this kind of enigmatic spirit in the people this, that they don't even correctly remember, but what they incorrectly remember, they crave for. So he's got a multi-leveled, emotional-based problem to face. How do you solve that? Verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Isn't that dramatic, right? Everyone at the door of his tent. <laughs> he's, got, he's got all these people in the desert sitting out there, and, and they're at the doors of their tent weeping. And Moses is like, what am I going to do with this? And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Now, the Hebrew word that they use here is actually re. And re in Hebrew means bad, in the, turn, in the sense of like being turned spoiled, uh, being something that has been, been broken up. So when it says Moses was displeased, it means that Moses' spirit was upset, but in the sense that it had darkened, right? So this is not a happy day for Moses. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? that you lay the burden of all this people on me. Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that I swore to give your fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, Kill me at once, if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Boy, what a scene. Moses turning to God and asking to be put to death rather than be put through the leadership trials he's being put through. That's a, it's almost like Moses just loses patience here. He's had enough. He can't do it anymore. And he tells God, I can't do it anymore. This people is too much for me. I, I, and, and it's amazing too because it's not even because of Moses. It's just the people themselves are actually that hard. I mean, if you look objectively at Moses' case, you'd say, Moses, you have a case here. I mean, these people are being ridiculous. You save them from slavery and they turn around and they say, you know, we wish that we'd, be, we'd be go back to Israel so we could eat. Moses is almost like, 
you know, you people would rather eat in slavery than, you know, have manna, but be free. And their answer is yes. And isn't it the same for so many times of what we're trying to do today? You're out there working, you're making things happen in the world. And yet the people don't even want to follow you. Your, your children don't want to go to church. Your, your leadership teams don't want to read the, the homework that you give them. Right? You, you, you offer classes for your people to improve and what they're supposed to be doing, and they don't even want to improve. It's amazing. It's the, 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 since time immemorial, everybody, it's really hard for human beings to do the spiritual. They'd much rather stay focused on the material. It's hard for people to do the intellectual and the virtuous. They would rather stay in the sensual and the sensible where they can eat and drink and be merry and we just leave all the little hobbits in the shire, right? And so when you're called to take them out of the shire, so to speak, and you're supposed to lead your people into, in, into daring great things, you'll find this resistance. We don't want to dare great things. We just want a job. We just want peace. We just want to be left alone. And what do you do in those cases? Well, for Moses, he has enough. This is actually kind of like a nervous breakdown by Moses. I mean, he is displeased, but that, it says that in verse 10, but that word, like I said in Hebrew, it's not just he was displeased. It actually means bad, like his soul turned bad. Moses Moses was upset in, in a very literal sense of the term. And he, he just lay, lays it out in front of God. Have you ever felt this way? I mean, sometimes our, our burden of leadership can just take over and overpower us. And instead of looking at the finished goal and instead of trusting in God, we just vent a sigh of absolute disgruntlement. Our spirit turns to displeasure. It turns ray, right, in, in Hebrew. And, this, and when, when we're in those spots, we can feel like such failures because not only did our endeavor not turn out for us, but we even feel like it's impossible, like we didn't have what it took to make that happen. What a consolation to see Moses, the great Moses, in that same position. Maybe it's to show us that the reason why you are a leader, and always remember this, is because the people need to be led. If the people had their act together, if the people were absolutely perfect, if the organization just hummed without you, you wouldn't be needed as a leader. Leaders are needed to go where it's broken, where the human endeavor no longer is correct, where the cooperation no longer exists. We're called to bring that healing of unity where there is no unity. Moses, in other words, was called to teach this people how to follow in the footsteps of God, how to keep their commandments. They didn't know. If they knew how to do everything perfectly, they wouldn't need Moses. The fact is, he was needed because the people didn't know. And he has that unenviable position of having to educate a wayward people. But it's an act of service. What you're doing, running your companies, running your families, being out there trying to make things happen amongst it with such apathy and lethargy all around you, yep, what you're doing is an act of salvation and redemption. You're going after the lost sheep. You're trying to make this world better, which means that sometimes you have to confront the world as it is, a very broken place. But you're God's person for that. 
God put Moses in that position, knowing how hard it would be for him, for two reasons. The first is so that the people could change in the deepest way possible by being led by someone like them. And the second, so that Moses could be sanctified by trying. God is going to bless you for your efforts on behalf of his people. He's going to sanctify you with an intimacy that he has set out for those who are his leaders. Like he says to his apostles, he doesn't say it to the crowd, but he says it to the apostles. I have called you friends. God, God wants to have an intimacy with his leaders that's uncommon and unique. And sometimes he does it in ways, well, God's big enough. He handles Moses. The Lord then comes to his help and he appoints 70 men to help Moses out and he, he responds to Moses' breakdown. But and he'll respond to yours as well. Don't give up the fight. Hang in there because God is with you even if he stretches you beyond what you think you can handle. You're not the first one he's done this to and it's for your good. In the end, if you stay in that battle, you'll discover a new help that wasn't there before that is there now. And that's that special response that God gives when his leaders reach the end of their rope. This is Father Nathan. I'd like to offer an invitation for all you listening between the ages of 22 and 40 to consider daring something great for Christ this year. Right now, the St. John Leadership Institute in Denver, Colorado is recruiting for our new class. Come and live in Denver with a community of your peers form your own business, earn a master's degree in any subject, learn what it takes to lead today. Check us out, stjohnleadershipinstitute.org. So we looked at Numbers chapter 11 when Moses really has a, a, a bad day. You know, his spirit turns ray, as they say in Hebrew, right? His spirit turns bad. Uh, he was displeased with what he saw. And that he saw was that his people weren't cooperating with him, you know? Well, there's another time where Moses gets angry, and it's going to be in Numbers chapter 20. Let's take a look at it. So then, you know, uh, in, in Numbers 20, verse 8, the glory of the Lord appears to them, and the Lord spoke, spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Well, this is an amazing scene. Because it, it, there's a lot of writing about this. Why was it, how was it that striking the rock, Moses did exactly what God said to do, except this, he struck the rock twice. And by so doing, God said, you failed to uphold me as holy in the eyes of Israel, as other than you. 
almost like maybe by striking it twice, he was showing to Israel that it was by the force of his striking that the water came out, that God couldn't bring the water out all at once with one strike. I don't know. And there's a lot of commentary about this. Also, they say, if you look, you know, when Moses says, here now, you rebels, we shall bring, shall we bring water from you out of this rock? They say Moses got exceedingly angry. And it was because of his anger that this, you know, displeased God. Would be that as it may, it's, it's a punishment that Moses has to endure for a long time. It, that comes with it the fact that God says, because you've done this, you won't go into the promised land. You won't get to see Israel. You won't get to live there. You'll salute it from afar. And we see at Moses' death in Deuteronomy chapter 34, this is exactly it. He, he says, to, God says, Moses went up to the, from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead. And he goes on to describe all the places that he could see. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. It's amazing. It's almost like God holds Moses accountable for his error in leadership. And in fact, that's exactly what happens. Number one, Moses did not do what God told them to do. God told him to strike the rock, I guess, once, like he did in Exodus with the golden calf way back when he set up the, uh, the, the people at Mount Sinai the first time. He struck the rock once and water came out. Here he strikes the rock twice. And because of that lack of faith and that lack of faithful obedience, God actually punishes him. And you could say this is a cruel thing. Moses doesn't get to the finish line. His great project doesn't get to be completed. He doesn't bring the people all the way into Canaan. And you could say this is so hard. Why does God do that? Why would our leader fail? Moses was supposed to bring them into Canaan and instead he has to stop short. His whole life's work, 120 years of life's work, doesn't culminate in the success that he dreamed of. Well, how often this happens to us too. Our businesses fail, our employees quit, our, pro our, our projects have to transmutate and, and change. We don't get to succeed in the way that we wanted to. But we do succeed by this. Moses stays faithful. He obeys God to the very end. He looks upon God as his master and Lord and he serves him with the humility of a servant. Maybe this is exactly what he wants from us anyway. The point of our life is not to succeed in business. The point of our life is to serve God through our business. To lead as He wants us to, even if it involves failure. Because failure is not final. It is the courage to continue that counts. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.